if you know me or my brothers, you know that we lack something, and that's modesty. Um, <laughs> we don't have any modesty. We are just way too overconfident. And um, it's not a strong suit of ours, but I believe we gained this lovely trait from our father. Um, <laughs> Which I, I think that's the truth. Dad's not even denying it. And I think it's 100% the cause for the stress in mum's life, our overconfidence. I mean, I don't think we know the word cautious and we like to tackle things head on. But I, I mean, that goes for me and my abilities and my talents. And I like to tackle everything that I go through head on. And sometimes that's not the best way to do it, especially when you're cooking. Because if you can think when you start cooking, if you just start tackling it and going straight into it without any preparation food's gonna suck. I mean, I, I'm, I'm someone who I've got to stick to the method and I have to prep. And when I cook, I cut all of my veggies up, all my meat up. I grind my garlic, grind my ginger, whatever I need to do, measure out my sauces and I compartmentalize. Does anybody else do that? I've got this section is the meat, that's step one. This section is the veggie. Step two, this section is the sauce, step three. And I like to put it all in its containers. It's all measured out so I don't have to measure it out as I'm going. Otherwise, I mean, when I went to ad lib and I didn't measure and I didn't read the method properly, the first time me and Beck ever made chicken Caesar salad, she put me in charge of making the sauce. And I think she can probably remember how the sauce turned out. It said a quarter of a lemon, the juice from a quarter of a lemon. And I put a quarter of a cup of lemon juice in the sauce. And I mean, yeah, it, it hurt to eat. Like Beck, Beck was very loving and this was early on in our relationship. So she gritted her teeth and tasted a bit and put a bit more on her salad. And I'm sure that was the worst salad she ever ate in her life. But when you prep like for food, you've got you to make sure you prep. And I remember living at home, mum and dad, they used to ask that when we left school, we would cook one or two nights a week, which is fair. We should cook and we should learn how to cook so that when we leave home, we weren't just eating two minute noodles. And so we would cook and I thought, because I was super overconfident and because I was really good at eating, I was going to be really good at cooking. It doesn't work like that, young men. Because you can eat doesn't mean you can cook. And I remember this one Asian noodley dish. And mum might remember it because, yeah, it, I'll, I'll get to why she might remember it. But it was this tuna dish with noodles and it had a thousand and one spices. And to prep it, I, um, you had to just get everything sorted. But Back when I started cooking, I didn't prep. So I just tackled it on and I started step one and just worked my way down and did everything as I read it. Um, so it started, I had to heat the tuna up in this pan and I put it in the pan and when you're cooking tuna, tuna is very, very delicate. And um, I was just using tuna from a can. I wasn't even using a fish. So you've got to cook it really, really on a low temperature, not on a high temperature. And I started cooking it. And then I started chopping my veggies and my sauce for step two. So I measured it out and was chopping my veggies. But whilst doing that, because I hadn't prepped, I took too long and burnt the tuna. So I take the tuna off the heat and put it to the side away from the heat. And then I kept going. And then it got to step two and I needed to put my veggies, I needed to put my sauce in. So I put the tuna back on the heat and put the sauce and the veggies in. But because I'd taken it off the heat, it was then cool by that stage. So the pan wasn't hot enough. And the time that it allocated to cook this stuff it didn't actually cook it. It didn't reduce the sauce and the veggies were still hard. Now, I didn't know this because I didn't think you needed to taste test your food before you gave it to your family. It then moved on to the noodles and I got to the stage where I cooked my noodles and I was, I, I just put them in the boiling water and that was pretty easy. I can do that. I've done two minute noodles. I'm experienced. I know how to do noodles. But I was measuring out my soy sauce to put in my noodles. And there was one measurement on the ingredients in the method. Um, 
but that was to be split between the sauce before and the noodles at the end, but I'd put it all in the sauce before. So I'd put three quarters of a cup of soy sauce in the sauce, which was way too much and it didn't, didn't actually reduce. And then I thought, hey, I can at least do my noodles right. So I put my quarter of a cup that was meant to go in the noodles in the noodles. So <laughs> I doubled up on the soy sauce and I thought, I've done one part of it right. I then went and I served my food. Now, if you know my mum, and especially the boys, she's a loving mum, and she, um, she'll put up with what you eat. Now, I mean, I've prepared some meals where I didn't wash the lettuce, I didn't wash the silver beet, and it was a sandy meal. Um, at the same time, I didn't prepare it all at the same time, and some elements were freezing cold, some of it was cooked, so you had warm um, silver beet, but the meat and the chickpeas were ice cold. She'll put up with that. She'll put up with salty stuff and she's just grateful that we help out because at the end of a long day, you don't want to be cooking. You don't want to be sitting there and you don't want to have to plan your meal. It's good when you can get home and it's already cooked for you. So she loved it when we cooked for her. So it kind of blew my mind when mum took one bite of my meal, put her fork down, begrudgingly swallowed and said, I think we'll get pizza tonight. <laughs> And I don't blame her. It was the most atrocious meal I have ever eaten in my life. Like, it sucked. Like, <laughs> but I've since learned there are things that I can cook, there are things I can kind of cook, and there are some things I shouldn't attempt. I should grate the cheese and just let Beck cook. Like, I've learned my limits. But, you know, it kind of reminds me of our relationship with God, my ability to cook, because sometimes we can think, I can do this and I'm going to smash this out. There's tasks that God set us or there's a vision that God's given us that we're ready for. And we're like, I can do this. I've done it a million times. Or I've got a manual. I've got the instruction book that I can get this done. Yet we still fall short and we still do a massive bodge job on it. I mean, God gave us the manual for life. He's given us a Bible and that literally tells us it's a step by step. If you read the whole thing from start to finish, if you read any of the books in there, it's this is how you should live your life. Yeah, we still manage to do a bodge job. I mean, who in here can say they've lived the perfect life and they've lived exactly how the Bible's told them to live? None of us. We've got a manual. We can read the text. We can listen to the worship. We can come to church every week. We can learn from Pastor Steve. We can go on prayer retreats. We can write cool worship songs. We can bring people to faith. We can bring people to church. Yet, we still manage to bodge it up sometimes. That's because sometimes you need a master chef in your corner. Like Beck, she cooks amazing food, guys. I'm, I'm scared for my figure. But <laughs> we need a master chef or you need a captain of your ship because as good as we are at doing things and as much as we've got a manual for life and as dedicated as we can be to praying, as dedicated as we can be to worship and living a godly life, we still fall short unless we have Jesus in our boat. Now, if you've got your Bibles, would you turn to John 6, verse 16 to 21? Now, this is John's account of when Jesus walked on the water. And yeah, we'll read that. Awesome. So it's up on the screen for you if you don't have your Bible and you want to follow along. But Jesus walks on the water. When the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. <clears throat> when they had rowed five or six kilometers, 
they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Is that cool? That's awesome. I love that verse. But, I mean, I'm sure you've heard a million and one preachers preach about this verse and say, we're going to the next level. We need to be, in other accounts, you hear the walking on the water, and Peter jumps out of the boat and he walks to Jesus. And we talk about, you need to have the faith to jump out the boat and walk to Jesus. But I want to tackle this verse a little bit different today. I want to come from a different angle. And I've got three points that I'd love for you to walk away with. Now, we'll get to the points as I get to them. I'm not going to give them all to you. Otherwise, it'll ruin, my, ruin the message, getting ahead of myself. But the first point that I want to take from that verse there, where Jesus walks on the water, is, is Jesus in your boat? So is Jesus in your boat? If you're a note taker, make sure you take that down. By the way, note takers are the ones that are going to be your boss in the future. The nerds, they're the ones that are going to be the future. So take notes. But is Jesus in your boat? I love in verse 18, it says, A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough when they had rowed about three or four miles in another interpretation or five or six kilometers. And another interpretation again says six or seven kilometers. Now, I did my research on the area where this actually took place. So where the feeding of the 5,000 happened in the verses just before this to Capernaum, I did like a bird's, like how the crow flies, and it's about 2.5 kilometers. Going along the coastline, it's 2.8 kilometers. Going by road, it's 3.2 kilometers. So how did these experienced fishermen manage to row almost seven kilometers from where they started to where they finished? How did they manage to bodge it up that much that these people who knew the area, knew the lake, couldn't get to where they were going? Now, they weren't just rowing in some rough seas. Other interpretations say it wasn't just rough, it was a storm. So they're rowing around in a storm. Now, if anybody has ever rowed on calm waters before, it's hard enough. A little bit of wind, it's hard enough. In a storm, I don't even want to imagine Me and my brother-in-law, Elias, whenever we've gone down to Albany a few times, we've rode from, I keep saying rode, and I think I'm pedaling, but no, we rode, kayaked, from Emu Point to Middleton Beach, which is about three and a half k's, and that hurts. But you can imagine these disciples are in a boat that is not streamlined like a kayak. They're in a storm, and they ride seven k's. That is hard, hard work. Now, you've got to wonder, how did these men... How did these men who knew this lake so well, who knew how to row, who knew the conditions, who knew that they should have stayed close to the coastline and they should have just rowed up the coastline, how did they manage to go way over and above? How did they manage to make their job so hard? I mean, how often do we do that? Do we make a molehill into a mountain? Or our mustard seed size problem becomes a mustard tree size problem? How often is it that we go round and round the mountain, that we just cause all his events to happen and we're doing the wrong thing just because in the beginning we didn't do the right thing. Just to find out anywhere along the journey that we took, we could have done the right thing and it would have made it all better. See, these disciples were so reliant on Jesus, so reliant on hearing from Jesus that they couldn't accomplish a simple task that they knew so well without God. And you know, although that looks bad, I actually admire the disciples for that. 
because they were so reliant on hearing from God that they weren't willing and they weren't able to actually do something simple without God. I want that kind of reliance on God. I want Jesus in my boat. Are you sick of rowing around aimlessly? Because they were rowing around aimlessly. Seven Ks, when they knew where to go, they were obviously going aimlessly. But they were so reliant on God being in their boat. They were so reliant on having Jesus with them that they couldn't accomplish something simple. I want that kind of reliance on God. I don't know about you, but I need Jesus in my boat to do simple things. I think that's cool, but the next part of the verse is what gets me excited. So point number one, is Jesus in your boat? And are you reliant on Jesus for everything in your life? But point number two, how eager are you to have Jesus in your boat? Because it's one thing to know Jesus, and it's one thing to serve Jesus and say, I'm a Christian. It's one thing to come to a Sunday, because that's easy to rock up on a Sunday morning. But it's another thing to be eager to have Jesus in your life. It says, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat. Other translations, it doesn't say willing. It says they were eager to take him into the boat. When they were going through the middle of their storms, when they were struggling in a literal storm, they were eager to have God. But they were only eager once they saw Jesus, once they knew that Jesus could help them. I want to suggest something that's going to sound a bit bad and if I'm not quick to follow up, will get me fired. But um, I'm going to suggest you don't need to be eager to have Jesus in your life. Not when you're first eager to seek Jesus. Because we can be eager for Jesus to come into our life or we can eagerly seek Jesus. See, the disciples, imagine how much easier their job would have been. Imagine how much easier the rowing would have been if they had Jesus in their corner from the start. If they hadn't have taken off with Jesus, I'm sure they would have been like, yep, cool, we're just going to row up the coast and we'll be there. A few minutes, we'll be good. They would have had direction, they would have had purpose, but instead they rode around aimlessly. See, when you're facing the storms of life, you can either wait till you're in a storm and then be like, God, I need your help, please. God, I'm just such a poor little paddler in my storm. Or you can get Jesus in your corner from the start and tackle your storms with Jesus on your side. See, we don't have to be eager for Jesus to come to us when we seek Jesus first, when we go to Jesus first. So point number one, have you got Jesus in your boat? And are you so reliant on Jesus that you're not willing and you're not able to do anything unless it's got God's anointing? Two, are you eagerly seeking Jesus? Not just eager for him to be in your life, but eagerly seeking him. So easy for us to just go week to week, day to day, without having even thought about what Jesus must be doing in that day. So easy to miss the promptings when he says, I want you to bless that person. I want you to pray for that person. But when we're seeking God, when we're actively saying, I am not taking another step until I've got what God wants me to do in this situation down pat, that's when we're going to be going next level with our faith. And my third point for this message, third and final, and this It blew my mind. I had to read this Bible verse a number of times before I actually arrived at this. But are you ready ready for the immediate? It says at the end of this verse, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. It doesn't say that Jesus got in the boat and the storms calmed and that they just rode to shore calmly. 
It doesn't say that Jesus got a big engine, put it on the back of their boat, and they powered to shore. It doesn't even say that they just battled through the storm. It says immediately they were at the shore. So they're tackling a storm, and then Jesus is in their boat, and immediately they're at their destination. Now, that is an amazing miracle, and a lot of people skip over that miracle. They were in one place and the next place, and I believe that is the first sign of teleportation, if anybody believes in it. But Jesus can sometimes be in our boat, and he can take us around the mountain. I think the important thing isn't that they immediately got from one place to the other, because that's pretty cool. But sometimes Jesus can take us to a destination, and he can take us right around the mountain, because he needs us to learn something, and he needs us to learn from the situation. Sometimes he can accelerate us right to the finish line where he needs us to be. But the important thing isn't that Jesus got them there. The important thing is that Jesus moves immediately. See, when you accept Jesus into your boat and when you're eagerly seeking him, you better bet that you're not going to be stationary, that you're not going to be still. And the question is, are you ready to move with Jesus? Because Jesus doesn't sit idly. He doesn't wait around because there is inaction in this world and there are people that are Christians that are sitting on their hands and their feet and Jesus just saying, just get up. I've got a task for you. I've got something for you to do. I've got a world to change and I need you to be doing it. But God doesn't sit idly. He doesn't sit in his study reading his Bible and just not worrying about things. He is at work all the time. The question is, are you ready to be moving? Or have you got excuses in the way? Have you got the excuses, oh God, I'm always the one that serves. I'm always the one that puts my hand up. I'm always the one that is always just serving and putting my best out. Send someone else. Send someone who can do it because I always put my hand up. I'm sick and I need a break. God doesn't want your excuses. He wants your action. Or have you made your plans? God, I've been saving for this trip. I've been saving for this thing for so long. I can't afford to bless that person. Otherwise, I won't be able to go. God doesn't want your plans. God wants your action. Or have you let bitterness take over your heart? God, I don't want to be involved in this project because there's somebody in that project that I don't like and they've said the wrong thing to me or they did the wrong thing or they weren't reading their Bible correctly. God doesn't want your bitterness. Leave it at the door. He wants your action. Church, if we're going to go next level in our faith, if we're actually going to stick to the words of our church, which is lives transformed, we can't transform lives if we are not pursuing Jesus. We can't transform lives if we are not going next level, if we are not trying to better ourselves all the time. And I think the most important thing we can do to better ourselves is first ask ourselves three questions. Is Jesus in your boat? Are you eagerly seeking Jesus? And lastly, are you ready to immediately go? Because God isn't waiting for you to be ready for next year or next month or even tomorrow. He's not waiting till your finances are in order for you to be able to move. He's not waiting for you to end that bitterness. If God says move, it's time to move. And he doesn't want you to move next year. He doesn't want you to move 10 years from now. If you're a young person, he doesn't want you to wait till you're an adult. If you're an old person, he doesn't want for you to to wait till you're dead. God says you're moving immediately. Your answer is, yes, God, I'm moving now. So church, are we going to be a church of action or are we going to sit there and let others do it for us? If I could have the band up, that would be awesome. We're going to be doing communion in a sec. And just before the little kitties come down the front, I'm just going to pray. 
then we'll take communion. But this week, as you go about your lives, even the next few minutes, the next day, I want you to be asking yourself that. Is Jesus the priority in your life? Or are you so focused on paddling around in your sorrowful storm that you can't notice what Jesus is doing? Is Jesus the captain of your life? Is he in your boat? And are you seeking him with everything you've got? Or are you waiting till you need Jesus before you ask him? Are you seeking him before the storms, after the storms, during the storms, during the hard times? Or are you only waiting till you need Jesus before you seek him? And lastly, are you ready to go? Because God doesn't wait for you. God's got plans and he needs people to be moving. He needs people to be actioned. Doesn't want you sitting at home. So come on, church, we're going to pray, then we're going to go back into worship. We'll just do the um, bridge of the one, the song, and then we're going to take communion together. But let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, I want to thank you for the manual, God. But the manual is only good if we've got you in our lives. So Lord, I pray that we would prioritize you. We would put you first, God. Lord, that we would seek you with everything that we've got. And Lord, that when you call, we would be ready to go. God, that we wouldn't have excuses. We wouldn't have plans. Lord, we wouldn't have things in the way of what you want to do, God. Lord, I pray that we as your vessels would just be ready to move, ready to change this world. God, we give you the glory. We give you the honor. We want to lift your name up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. If you guys just want to stand with us. We're just going to sing this bridge just one last time. Then we're going to take communion.
But as, as uh, Tim was preaching just now, you know, it was like, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. The question we've got, which Tim has challenged us with today is, would we not just invite him into the world, but we would invite him into our boats? Would he come into our boats? As we take communion today, we're going to remember that Jesus came into the world. He took some bread. He broke the bread. He passed the bread around and he said, this is my bread. This is my body that it was broken for you. If Jesus is in your boat, he comes into your boat and he says, this is my body. This is my life. This is my presence I give to you. Take it and eat it. And as we eat it, we're saying, get into my boat. Come into my life. Then you're going to have a cup. And the cup is a reminder of Jesus' life. that he, When he sacrificed that life, he sacrificed that and he brought all of heaven to earth. Because, you see, he forgave our sins and he made us one with him so that the kingdom of heaven could be on earth in you. When he comes into your boat, he doesn't just take you to the other side. He comes with you to the other side because he's bringing his kingdom to the other side. And I love that scripture that I read this week about stirring to flame, that we have to stir up that which is in us. Jesus was in the boat and he had to be asked to get into the boat. We have to stir up. God's Jesus is in you. But sometimes we've got to stir it up. We've got to wake him up and say, help me in this storm. So Jesus took the bread and he broke it. Whoa, this is good. Fresh bread. He broke it. Look at the steam. <laughs> and he gave it to each one of you and said, this is my body that was broken for you take eat this is my cup that was given to you drink in remembrance of me thanks kids if you could come and bring out the bread and serve it around and if our helpers can bring out the cups hold the bread let's hold the cup let's just have a bit of quiet and just imagine your life as a boat and just imagine you inviting jesus willingly into your boat
as you've got the bread now and you've got the cup. Smell that aroma. Maybe you could smell the aroma of Jesus. And Jesus, we come before you and we say that in the past you couldn't get in our boats because it was too full of stuff that you couldn't hang out with because we called it sin, we called it stuff that just isn't part of your kingdom. Yet you said if we confess that, that you would forgive us of that. And right now, some of us have been living separately from you. And we are going to confess this stuff in our boat that we need you to take out. We need you to forgive us of. We need you to wash us clean. So there's room for you to come in. And we accept you now. And we say willingly, please come into our lives and take us to that place you want us to be immediately in your timing because you're now the captain of the ship thank you Jesus let's eat and drink together great day, hey? It's, uh, yeah, it's great. Have the kids cooking, Tim preaching, young people in their worship and some older people. <laughs> 